Here we are again on Wednesday, May 24th, and we are at Deuteronomy 19. So the last half of 18 is a very significant portion of Scripture, and that's why I wanted to have a, you know, a whole Wednesday night to get into that. And now we're on 19. And also, last week I opened up this Believer's Bible Commentary and set it down right here on the arm of this chair. I never looked at it the first time. So I had, had other, you know, plenty of stuff to talk about, and we went to another portion of Scripture to show where it was talked about in the uh, New Testament as well. So I didn't need to. But I'm always curious as to you know, what this says and a few of us in, in this church have these, so I don't know if you've been, you know, anybody else has been looking in here if you're, you know, studying Deuteronomy as well. But, you know, there's so much going on here. We've got, you know, Sunday school, then you have your Monday, Monday Bible study, and then Wednesday night, and then Sunday. So there's so much going on, and then there's at-home Bible reading that, you know, we all should be doing on a routine basis, so your mind can get kind of blown away. Uh, my mind gets all filled up with all the stuff that I prep, and then, like last night, I go to the jail, and I just, you know, I just, one thing after the other. It took me a while to even start reading anything, and so much was just coming into my mind and I and oh it was a really good turnout last night very good turnout I mean the amount of guys who came into that room last night makes us look pitiful here tonight so uh, Cameron uh, could not be there last night he had he was real busy this week because he's his daughter's graduating from Radford High School so he was very happy that I was going to be there and that I was, I was good to go. And he filled in for me last week. So, uh, you know, it's working out really, really good having two people who love to go there. So I'm very thankful for that. So uh, Deuteronomy 19, let's start reading. When the Lord thy God hath cut off the nations whose land the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their cities and in their houses. Now notice that he's talking to them as a nation. <clears throat> thou, notice the thou, thou shalt separate three cities for thee in the midst of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. So this is definitely talking about, as a nation, they're supposed to be doing this. This is not for each individual person. You would see a bunch of yees. But this is singular, thou. Verse 3, thou shalt prepare thee a way. Now, that is saying something right there. That little phrase, and it, what, do you remember what John the Baptist was instructed to do? to prepare a way, to straighten out the paths, to fill in the holes, to knock down the humps. I mean, just make an easy way to Jesus. 
And that's where that scripture where it talks about straight is the gate. That means that there's no tricks there. There's, no, there's nothing there that you have to climb over to get into true salvation, which is in Jesus. So that's why, you know, when we were talking about that verse, uh, which I believe it was Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, that Joseph, uh, was, he was right. I went and checked him on that, and he was right on. Um, <clears throat> those two verses, in, in the newer versions of the Bible, it changes narrow to difficult or hard. And, you know, it makes sense in that it seems like it's so hard for people to find Jesus, but it's really very easy. So to say that it's hard gives this impression that you've got to work diligently, you know, do this, that, and the other to finally work your way into salvation, and it is so hard to do. And a lot of just people who aren't saved, that, they would say, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Or people who are counting on their own self-righteousness, they like that version. You know, yeah, look at all of what I did. I deserve to be saved. So we've got to be very, very careful about changing the Word of God. Uh, I'm reading a book right now uh, that Charles Spurgeon wrote back in the 1800s. Late in his life, he was very, very close to dying, and it was, it's called his uh, Last Manifesto. Uh, Lois just read a, a book on the promises that Spurgeon wrote. She just finished that up and uh, says it's really, really good. But what I, the title of the one that I'm reading is called, um, I think it's called The Greatest Fight in the World. And it's really, it's written to pastors, is really who, what it's written to. Because what was happening in the, in, you, when you start getting into the, the later part of the 1800s, there were a whole lot of people who had, thought that the Word of God needed to be fine-tuned and fixed, and they started to, if something didn't line up exactly the way they were, were feeling, or what they thought the, the way was, they would try to manipulate the Word of God. And he was being criticized because he was hanging on and not budging one bit on the old English Bible that he had. He had all the confidence in the world that it was the perfect, infallible Word of God, and nothing needed to be fixed. So there were people coming along that said, well, in the originals, and we messed up in the translation, and we need to fix this, and he was going, no, there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect the way it is. He, how many times have you heard me talk about that? Charles Spurgeon was dealing with that back then. And people were, pastors, churches were purposely not preaching certain things. And to him, that was taken away from the Word of God. Without, you know, you're not actually going in and pulling it out of the Bible, but by a preacher refusing to preach on something, he was, in fact taking away from the Word of God because he refused to preach on it. So you, you might have people today 
who will say, you know what, if you, don't, if you would not touch on this, this, and this, your church might grow. And that might be true. But that's taken away from the Word of God. So, are you going to fall to the temptation of doing what man wants to hear? Or are you going to stick with the Word of God and preach what man needs to hear? Not just what they want to hear. So, that book is really good, and I'm, I'm really liking reading it. So, uh, I was happy that I went down there the other day, down to Scripture Truth, and, and uh, I went down there because of Lois. That's, well, you're a part of the reason, but I really wanted to find you a Charles Spurgeon book. So when I got down there, I had very little time. I got down there, I went over, I had a, I had a funeral to go to. And so I, I went over to the Charles Spurgeon section. So if you go to Scripture Truth, you walk through the door, take an immediate right, go straight down that aisle, and at the end of that, almost to the end of that aisle on the right side, there's where the Charles Spurgeon stuff is. And I got three little books. I got one for my mom, got one for Lois, and one for me. And it's nice to read about somebody talking about something in the 1800s that I'm dealing with today in 2023. So, John the Baptist, he made a way. He was, one of his jobs was to prepare the way, to make straight. So, this city, these cities of refuge that we're going to be talking about right here, they, they, were, they were not a place that would be very difficult to get to because there was a way made. Now, if you go back and you look at the history of those cities of refuge, you will find out that they, in fact, made very nice roadways to get to those places, and they put signs up to direct the way to them for anybody who was in need of the city of refuge. So that one little portion of a verse tells us so much about how much time and effort they put into making the way easy. So we, as ministers of the gospel, servants of our, of our Lord Jesus, we do lots of things, we do works to smooth the way, to make it easy for people to meet Jesus. We do the work. We make the way. We're supposed to be like John the Baptist in... in uh, when everybody started looking at John the Baptist and saying, you are so great, you're amazing, he had to decrease and then turned everybody's attention to Jesus. We're supposed to be doing the same thing. As soon as somebody starts uh, complimenting you on how great you're doing in your ministry and all this stuff, beware. And then take that opportunity to put the spotlight on Jesus. Back to verse 3. After it says, Thou shalt prepare thee a way, and divide the coast of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to inherit, into three parts, that every slayer may flee thither. Now, a slayer is someone who has killed somebody. 
Well, why are you making a city of refuge for somebody who kills somebody? That doesn't seem like it'd be a good thing to do. So why is this? And this is the case of the slayer. Oh, cool. The Bible's going to tell us what it's about. Which shall flee thither that he may live, whoso killeth his neighbor ignorantly, whom he hateth not in time past. So this is... All right, now he gives an example of what could happen. As when a man goeth into the wood with his neighbor to hew wood, and his hand fetcheth uh, a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve, and lighteth upon his neighbor, that he die, he shall flee unto one of those cities and live. And if he doesn't, it says, lest the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot. You ever heard of a crime of passion? You know, a person would get a lesser sentence if they killed somebody in a crime of passion. You know, that was actual law in, in the state of Virginia. So right here, you, you just accidentally killed somebody, their family come running, and in the moment of seeing their loved one dead, they might turn to you, you killed him. They, they're not going to sit down and rationally think about everything. They are mad, and they might kill you. Okay, if you run away and you're, you've gotten away, then they have time to cool down a little bit, and then they may start to look at the facts. So you had this city of refuge you could go to, and then they're, they're going to cool down. They, they have the right to go find you and to bring you back to the officials so that a trial can be done. Because you've got to have you know, two witnesses. You can't just... You know, and that person would, would tell you what happened. And then you can uh, determine that it was accidental. All right, that's what all this stuff is about. All right, where was I at? And live, lest then... All right, I was halfway through six, I think. While his heart is hot. Oh, yeah, that makes me think. Yeah, you, if you had a situation where um, that crime of passion I was talking about, you know, if a man found his wife with another person and in the moment of rage killed him, then he would actually get a lesser sentence than if he waited and then snuck around and then took him out. You know, that would be really planning it out, premeditated. But in the moment of rage, if he did it, you would actually get a lesser sentence. I, 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 I know that, and I've, I've witnessed or known of those cases before. You know, it's, it, the Bible, if you go back and you read all of your Bible, you're going to see how the laws of our land line up really well with the Bible. And overtake him, I'm right in the middle of verse 6, because the way is long and slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death, inasmuch as he hated him not in time past. So that's... That could happen, that's why there's a city of refuge. Wherefore, I command thee, saying, Thou shalt separate three cities for thee, 
And if the Lord thy God enlarge thy coast as he hath sworn unto thy fathers and give thee all the land which he promised to give unto thy fathers. Now, if they took possession of everything God gave them, they, would, they were instructed to give, put in another three cities of refuge. So, you know, during King David's reign, they took the most possession of the land that was promised to them in all their history. But David's son, Solomon, lost a whole lot of what David gained. Notice that it says this person didn't have anything bad. They didn't have any hatred or ill will toward the person in the past. When they ruled out that he had anything against him, that made a big difference in this. Verse 9, If thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them, which I command thee this day, the love, and to love the Lord thy God, to walk, and to walk ever in his ways, then shalt thou add three cities more for thee beside thee, these three. So if you know the word of God and you follow it, you live a godly life because you know that's what's pleasing to God, because you know his word, then good things are going to happen. Not just individually, but as a nation. See, this is talking to a nation. So as we see these things, we need to understand that to walk ever in his ways, we don't, we don't do that to get saved, right? We've got to be very careful not to enter works and doing good in salvation. This isn't talking about salvation right here. This is talking about a nation, things going well for a nation if they, the nation follows God's ways. There's a big difference. So you can't take this as meaning an individual. This is talking about the nation of Israel. And any other nation can learn from this right here and have a very good, blessed nation that everybody wants to come live here because it's protected and it's blessed of God. Now, America is very quickly falling from that. We are very quickly falling. And we'll read something uh, down here a little bit lower that it's going to be one reason why. But say so I'm getting ready to read 10, I think. Let's see here, 19. Aha! 1 through 10. All right, so let's read 10. That innocent blood be not shed in thy land. Well, there it is, right there. Which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. You understand that this is talking about a person who should not be killed for accidentally killing somebody. And then if they were killed, then that person was actually innocent. You know, the person who ignorantly, they, just, they didn't do it on purpose, it was an accident, that person killed somebody, and then the other person came and killed that person, he would have been justified in killing him if it was premeditated and just, or he hated him, had something bad. But if he killed him and then they realized later 
he wasn't, he wasn't worthy of death. Well, then that's innocent blood that was, that was uh, shed out of somebody being angry. And when that happens to a nation, then you're going to suffer the consequences of shedding innocent blood. That's just the way it is. So that, that you know, this is the reason that innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. So that's saying that it requires blood for blood. If you kill innocents, then the requirement for the bloodshed is more bloodshed. And it always happens to a nation. But if any man... Oh, wait. All right, so I got through 10. So I'm going to read out of the uh, Believer's Bible Commentary. And again, very short. Just one paragraph to cover those first 10 verses. It says, Three cities of ref refuge had already been set up east of the Jordan River. Here, Moses reminded the people to set up three cities on the other side, conveniently located so that a manslayer could flee there and the avenger of blood, oh, from the avenger of blood. <clears throat> to the previous instruction on this subject is added the three provision for three additional cities of refuge if the people ever possessed the full territory originally promised to them. No further mention is made of these three extra cities because Israel has never occupied all the land promised in Genesis 15-18. The three, the three cities west of the Jordan were Kadesh, Hebron, and Shechem. Y'all been reading about that recently? Huh? Hebron? All right, so those were the three cities. So according to this, and again, I have not read this Believer's Bible Commentary. I'm reading it just to see what they're saying to add to this little teaching. Uh, there was never, even though they were promised so much more land, according to this, they never made those extra three cities of refuge, even though they probably could have during the reign of David. <clears throat> Verse 11. But, all right, so I'm going to read... 11, 12, and 13, and then go back over here. Three verses. But if any man hate his neighbor, and here it is, here's the premeditated, and lie in wait for him, and rise up against him, and smite him mortally that he die, and fleeth into one of these cities, up, oh, safe, he's, he's good to go, right? I'm on base, I'm safe, you can't do anything to me. Nope. Then the elders of his city shall send and fetch him thence and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. So just because there are cities of refuge, if you are a murderer and you flee to that city of refuge, it's the duty of that city to fetch you and hand you to the people who are there wanting to kill you. And they hand them over to you, the avenger of blood, which would be a family member. Now, maybe the avenger of blood, maybe they were supposed to take them back to stand trial, and then the, uh, the city, the government, would take care of the killing. That I'm not real sure on, 
I'd say it would depend on, can you imagine that? How, if, if, if somebody knew if they killed somebody that they would be handed over to the family for the family to do what's right and how scary it would be to ever do anything to harm anybody. You mean, you, you mean if you catch me, you're going to hand me over to the family? And then they're supposed to take me to the police in the courthouse? Good chance of me ever making it there. Uh, you know, like if you, uh, you know, did something really bad to a little kid, and then they handed you over to the family, you're not making it to the courthouse. But that's the way it was set up. You, people need to have a fear of doing th something wrong. And you go to every big city in America right now, there's no fear whatsoever. Because they know if they do something wrong and somebody does something to protect themselves, that person's going to get in trouble. Not them, not, not the criminal. <clears throat> so we are falling away big time. Uh, 13, thine eye shall not pity him. <clears throat> we got so many, what do we call them, bleeding heart people that they just have pity on the people that should not have pity on them. Thine eye shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with thee. Again, <clears throat> what do we do in this country? This country is one of the worst in, a, in the world for killing unborn babies. That innocent blood that is shed is not going to, be, to go unpunished. It will not. And it says right here that you need to have this kind of thought process and laws in your land so that it will go well with thee for your nation. All right, back over here. The city of refuge did not provide safety for a murderer. Even though he fled to one of these cities, the elders were to weigh the evidence and deliver him to the avenger if he was found guilty. So maybe the trial happened at the city of refuge and then they handed him over. Again, this is just a commentary. Okay, next verse. 14, thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. So that one verse, it says here in this little, uh, I say little, this very big commentary I got sitting here, a landmark was a stone placed in a field to indicate the boundary of one's land. These could be moved secretly at night to expand one's own farm, at the same time cheating one's neighbor. Why this one verse is placed in the midst of a passage dealing with judicial practice, uh, example, cities of refuge and witnesses, false and true, is difficult to say, but its position does not obscure its teaching. So it seems like it's kind of put in here, yeah, right in the middle of some other issues. All right, 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men 
between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition, and behold, if the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother, so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. So that is, that is going to discourage any false witness. So whatever that person is on trial for, whatever the punishment for that is, in the course of this trial, if you find out that somebody made it up and they're there as a false witness, whatever you were trying to get the punishment on that person, the false witness got that punishment. So today we have, <laughs> think about over the past several years, you have a certain, let's say it's a Supreme Court judge that is nominated by a president and then it has to be confirmed and then that person is basically on trial and false witnesses are brought to say all these bad things about that person so they won't be, you know, instated as a justice. We've seen that. We've seen it over many years. And... So if that false witness knew that if they were found to be false and they would get a severe punishment on them, then maybe they won't come forward so easily and, and, and be a false witness. You know, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's a very serious thing. You know, it's, it's, it's not just lying. It's lying to... to willfully hurt another person and we should remember that Jesus was falsely accused and it should bother us too when we see false witnesses. <clears throat> so all these laws were put in place to get evil out, to make it to where people wouldn't want to do these evil things because of the punishment that would go along with it. 20. And those which remain shall hear and fear. That, you know, make an example so that others will hear and fear. Remember when uh, Ananias and Sapphira you know, sold that piece of property in, in Acts? And they, they were jealous of some people, like I'm pretty sure it was Barnabas, who sold property and gave all the money to the to the what would be like the, giving it to the church. It was for the whole, it's for everybody to share in. So, and he was thought so highly of, and then Ananias and Sapphira, they sold some property, and they brought money, and they said it was all the money, but it really wasn't. So they were lying about it, and they came to give it. And the Holy Spirit showed the disciples that they were lying, and they gave them a chance to come clean on it. So Ananias came in, and they gave him a chance, and he didn't do it, and he dropped dead. Well, I guess it was a few hours later, his wife comes in, and they gave her an opportunity. Are you saying the same thing your husband? She drops dead. All right? Guess what? A lot of people heard about it and were fearful of that. 
today, when you hear that story preached, you hear and you fear. Now, if God did that to every person who deserves to be taken out, we wouldn't have anybody in this church. But it was done so that we would hear and fear. All right. And those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. That's the purpose of all of it. 21. And thine eye shall not pity. You know, we are so soft. So soft. You know, <laughs> there, we, we have... We, you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. It's gotten to a point where... We baby everybody. You see it in Little League sports. Um, everybody gets a you know, participation trophy. And um, down at Chick-fil-A, uh, Michelle and Lona, they were talking about, somebody said something, you know, you know, they're doing all those little jokes down there. And they said, yeah, the, hear about the Little League baseball game that got rained out? Oh, really? That's too bad. Yeah, all the people got a precipitation trophy. <laughs> uh, and I, another dumb joke. Well, that's the way we are. You go back in my day when I was playing football, I mean, a coach would come to you and say, you stink. You're horrible. Why are you even out here? Now, that was testing you in, in more than just your talent. It's like, what are you made of? Yeah. They won't dare do that anymore. But how do you respond to that? Do you say, well, he's right, and he's defeated you mentally, and you walk away? Then you're not, you're not made of what you need to be made of. If you go into the service, and you're at basic training, it's not all motivation, and you're so awesome. I know you didn't do it today, but tomorrow you'll probably do better. It's like, no, you are a scumbag. What made you think to even join up? You know, you're horrible. They try to break you down mentally to see what you're really made of. And it's the best thing they can do because when you go on the battlefield and you're in the worst of the worst, you won't be able to handle it if you couldn't handle what you get through basic training. So if, if you're a person of character and a coach tells you you are horrible, you stink, you'd be like, yeah, you just wait. I'll show you, you're wrong. And, and you should be motivated to go out and do even better and to prove them wrong. <clears throat> and thine eye shall not, shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, people, they don't, people don't like this verse. Now, Here's what you need to understand about it. Does it literally mean eye for eye? Does it literally mean tooth for tooth? What all this is saying is that the punishment should match the crime. That's all it's really saying. The punishment should match the crime. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen in our criminal 
justice system in America, the, the punishment never matches the crime. And they wonder why all the jails are full. If, you, know, you hear me mention the Western Virginia Regional Jail right down here at Dixie Caverns. And it was built through 2008, and it opened up, I'm pretty sure it was April of 2009. Why did they build that big, huge jail down there that would hold, I think it's 700, 800 people? Why did they build it? Well, all the prisons across America, all the prisons are full. They're, they're to capacity. And all the small jails at all the small municipalities, all those jails were overcrowded. So there was a need for something else in between so that people could go to to, to uh, fix the overcrowding of the small jails and give people a place to go to while they waited for places to open up in prison. So within just a couple, it was probably one year of being open, they were at capacity. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> I mean, these guys, I, <clears throat> every now and then, I'm like, why is so, we're so-and-so. You know, he's always here. Oh, I had a guy, his name is Enoch, and he was there a long time ago, too. So, anyway, here very recently, Enoch wasn't there. And I went, where's Enoch? Oh, did God take him? Some of them that know their Bible thought it was funny. And then they said, one guy said, no, a spot opened up in prison. He went to prison. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, wrote it on the list. So... If the, if the punishment matched the crime, if we actually preach the Bible from the pulpit, if we encourage that, if we encouraged living the way God wants us to live, then our prisons wouldn't be full. There wouldn't be any need to build more. There's only, there's only a handful, I mean, probably three prisons in America that are faith-based, and they do so well. The peop when people get out of prison there, most of them never go back to jail again. Well, you can't say that about any other prison. Most of them, they, they get out and they die or they get locked up again. Uh, that big time percentage of the people who go through the system, <laughs> the rehabilitation system, it doesn't rehabilitate them at all. And they end up going back. Um, I mean, there's, there are some guys that were in my Bible study over the years, and I can think of quite a few that they didn't go back to jail. But the percentage of people that actually go to a Bible study class over there, there's no way that many people can go to them. They'll only put 20 on my list. So... <clears throat> Now, it's not a faith-based program over there. They just offer. They just offer these different programs. So they they're gonna if they offer a Christian program, they gotta offer this, that, and the other. All these other programs, whether it be you know, something for the Islam faith or something for Jehovah Witnesses, they even have that. They have a they have an actual program for Jehovah Witnesses that happen to be locked up. 
And I can remember looking at this very small percentage. When it, back in before COVID, you know, everything before COVID, BC, before COVID, I can remember going through, you know, turning the pages in the program book to find my class, and I would go past the Jehovah Witness ones and be like, two people signed up for it. That's it, two people. And hardly ever saw more than two or one person. But they set aside an hour for that every week, and that was supposed to be equal with one Christian program. Like, really? You got all these people trying to sign up. It would make more sense that if you had three of these for that one, or five of these for that one, but nope, out of fairness, one for each thing. All righty. We're done with chapter 19. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time once again. Father, we love getting into your word. And Father, we just pray for our nation that we would have people who will stand up for what's right, people um, that fear you and want what's best for this country, which is following your ways, Father. Father, we just, we just pray for that. We pray for, you know, for each person here to be people who are not afraid to stand on the Word of God, to proclaim it, to not be ashamed of the gospel of your Son dying on the cross for us, that we would speak it out, that we would lead people, that we would make, make a way, that we would, we would uh, make a way to that gate, that narrow way. Thank you, Father, for your many blessings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.